What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you and your walk toward eternity and your walk toward becoming the particular saint that God our Father desires for you to be. However, I gotta admit, I'm not perfect, and so every now and then my advice might not be good for you. If that's the case, I want to give you the freedom to reject whatever it is that I say that does not help you to grow in virtue, that does not help you to grow in holiness, that does not help you to conform your life to that of Christ. Um, However, if my advice is helpful for you, then I really want to encourage you, whether it's difficult or not, to lean into Jesus so that Jesus Christ, our Savior, can give you the grace to fulfill the demands of discipleship. If you're a first-time listener, shoot me some feedback uh, on today's show at askfatherjosh at essentialpress.com. You can also hit me up with critiques and comments and more questions. And also, uh, please share the show as well. If you share this show on your social media, on your Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram, the gram, uh, what happens is other people also can find out about the show through that capacity of social media, and that can help them become disciples in their walk toward eternity. On today's show, we're going to talk about witchcraft. Um, remember, that, remember that movie? It came out a long time ago with the three witches. They sang like what the song? <clears throat> I put a spell on you, and now you're mine, you're mine, and you're mine, and you're mine. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the real dangers of putting spells on people, how real that life really is, and how sometimes we think about it as a joke, but in reality, that life is dangerous. Also, we're going to talk about the miraculous visions, and we're going to talk about the Latin Mass. If you have been on social media lately, you've noticed there has been a lot of talk amongst Catholic Twitter on the Latin Mass, Extraordinary Forum, Novus Ordo, Ordinary Forum, and the debate going on between the two. And so we're going to talk about that on today's show as well. But before we get into those topics, speaking of the miraculous, I want to share with you all a pretty awesome glory story. So, glory story for today. Um, Shortly after I had my conversion at Steubenville South, in Alexandria, Louisiana, 2004, uh, I, and obviously it was in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, I, I came back home and I found this really cool Catholic gift shop. Uh, and I went to it and it's not open anymore. It was open for a very short period of time. And because I had, I was obviously baptized Catholic and then I left the Catholic church and then came back because of the Eucharist and adoration, I, I spent some time learning about Martin Luther. And so when I was at the store, I found this book, and I thought the book was talking about Martin Luther, but I misread it. It was actually talking about the fall of Lucifer, and it was this book called The Mystical City of God by Venerable Mary of Agrita, and this was the very first Catholic book outside of the Bible, obviously, the very first Catholic book outside of the Bible that I've ever read. If you've never read The Mystical City of God by Venerable Mary of Agrita, it will rock your world. Venerable Mary of Agrita, from what I remember, um, she was not a very educated woman, However, she, in prayer, uh, she was a disciple who, who was very much rooted in the interior life. In her own prayer, she was able to perceive the, the realities of the mysteries of the life of Jesus Christ and our Blessed Virgin Mother, uh, Mary. And she wrote about the life of Mary, the life of Christ. She wrote about the fall of Satan, the fall of Lucifer. And so um, I picked up the book because I thought it was about Martin Luther. It was actually about Lucifer. And I remember reading it being like, wait a minute, this ain't about Luther, but I couldn't put the book down. Anyways, long story short, at some point in my life, I don't know when, but I received a relic of this sister, and she was in a blue habit, 
And the the name of this sister on the relic was Sister Maria Fernandez. And so I, in some way, shape, or form, lost the relic in my car. And when I had a car accident recently, it wasn't my fault. Somebody hit me, took my car to the shop. The person working on my car was like, hey, you got something in your car right here. What's this? Turns out it was that relic of Sister Maria Fernandez. So I Googled Sister Maria Fernandez, and I found out her story. She was this awesome nun, wore a blue habit, and she would bilocate to America on a number of occasions, maybe 500 occasions might be the exact number. And she ministered to many of the Native Americans and she shared with them the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many of them became disciples of Jesus Christ because of her bilocating from Europe to the Americas. She never left Europe, but she bilocated here and shared Jesus because obviously Jesus is all about that supernatural life at times. And uh, so I was super blown away by her story. And I remember telling her story to a bunch of my parishioners and they began to tell me, hey, that, that sounds like Venerable Mary of Agreed, who wrote The Mystical City of God. And I was thinking, nah, that's two different people. This is Sister Maria Fernandez. Turns out, long story short, Sister Maria Fernandez's uh, saint name is Venerable Mary of Agreda. So this relic I have to this day now, I don't know how I got it, is a relic of Venerable Mary of Agreda, who's one of the first Catholic books that I've ever read in my life. And it's super it's been a big impact on me and my, my relationship with Jesus and the way I read the scriptures. And so um, shout out to God. Shout out to God for allowing me to experience the gift of the communion of saints, the mystical body of Christ in the kingdom of heaven. And shout out to you, Venerable Mary Vigrita. I know you've been praying for me and you've been interceding for me. And uh, I, I look forward to the day that you and I get to join each other in the beatific vision and worship God together. Glory Story 101. Alright, so let's get into the follow-up, some feedback from previous episodes. Coming in from a person by the name of Cyprian. Cyprian is the name of a, a great a great monk uh, that I, I've studied throughout the years. So Cyprian writes this, uh, What's up, Father Josh? I've listened to your podcast pretty much every Tuesday for the past three or four months. What I love about your show is the answers to questions coming from so many different areas of life. When talking with family and friends or as future priests, if God wills, your advice and the points you make will be most handy. I'm writing as a glory story follow-up in a way. There's a devotion that I came across to Jesus, King of all nations, uh, which was revealed by Jesus in the late 80s and early 90s. It has received a Neil Obstad. Um, the devotion's purpose to, is to better recognize Jesus as King and Lord of our hearts in an age when many, unfortunately, no longer do. Anyway, one of the associated prayers is a novena of Holy Communions in honor of Jesus, King of all nations, with the goal that one angel from each of the nine choirs may guard the communicant or a person of their choosing until death. It's fine if the masses are not on consecutive days, and it's recommended that the offer of the novena go to confession during their string of communions, if possible. You mentioned every episode that if this podcast is a gift for us listeners, it could become a gift for others as well. In particular, I remember the lady known as C, who wrote in to this show earlier this month, sharing her deep depression as a result of sexual abuse. I'd like her to know that she has been in my prayers and fast, and that I have begun to offer a novena of Holy Communions for her. I would also strongly exhort others to take up this devotion and practice it whenever they can, since it's not at all inconvenient for the offer, but affords powerful protection 
for a potentially large number of people on their walk toward eternity. I pray for you, Father Josh, and I ask you to pray for me. Thanks, Cyprian. Cyprian, you got it, man. You got it. Um, I'm the worst when it comes to praying um, novenas, but I'm going to try to pray a novena for you. So if I'm able to, to successfully pray this novena, uh, then I'm going to trust that it's because the angels were interceding for me like crazy because uh, I'm going to plan on doing it for you, brother. All right, let's get in today's show. First question comes in from Ozebo. Ozebo writes in about witchcraft. Hello, Father Josh. Could you please explain what the church teaches on witchcraft and tarot cards and all that creepy stuff? I know it's not something we as Catholics should be part of in general. However, I want to understand the church's reasoning behind this. Do we believe that witchcraft is not real and it's all fake? Or do we believe that it's the devil working in this world and that's why we stay away? Do we believe tarot cards really reveal the future or do we believe it's all fake? Or do we believe it's real but it's evil? LOL. It gets pretty confusing. I mean, I know we're not supposed to be superstitious, whatever that means. But being from Africa, I've seen some really crazy things happen in this life that can low-key only be explained through witchcraft, which a lot of people still practice. Anyway, I just want to know what to think about all this, and I trust the church to guide me. Thank you, Father Josh. I'll be praying for you, and you pray for me too, Ozebo. All right, Ozebo, that's a great question. Yes, so tarot cards, no joke. Witchcraft is no joke. It's the real deal. Witchcraft is very real, and it is, as you said, definitely rooted in the demonic. Uh, Whether the practitioners of witchcraft, whether the practitioners of the tarot card reading realize it or not, it's definitely rooted in a false idol. And that false idol is not some random idol out there. It's a fallen demon. It's a fallen angel. And so whether the person that's practicing witchcraft, whether the person that is um, using the tarot cards believes in it or not, um, they are definitely communicating with some powers that are really real and that can really mess up their life. Just because they might not believe it's the devil does not mean it's not the devil, right? If, if someone were to say, I don't believe in God, just because you don't personally believe in God does not make God not exist. A lot of people during the time of uh, Mary's apparitions in Fatima did not believe that Our Lady was really appearing there. However, just because they did not personally believe that our Blessed Mother was appearing in Fatima did not mean that she was not in fact actually appearing there because she was appearing there. Um, A number of Protestant Christians don't believe in the papacy. That does not mean that the Pope is not the Holy Father, the successor of St. Peter, the chief apostle. Uh, So just because we don't believe in something does not mean that it's not real. A number of years ago, I I was doing some ministry at an AIDS house uh, in New Orleans, and it was a beautiful ministry. And I was accompanying just a number of people who were who were really sick, um, physically sick and not healthy. And there was this one individual I remember walking with who, um, I, I honestly, I thought it was a woman for a very long time. It turns out um, he was a man who was dressed as a woman. And uh, he came out to tell me later that he was actually a man who was dressed as a woman because uh, I, I didn't know. I thought he was a woman. And so uh, we would pray together. We would meet and... Uh, Long story short, I just asked him to tell me a story. I was like, what's your story, man? Like, I want to know your background. I want to know your history, right? I care about you. And so he went on to tell me that whenever he was growing up, his dad was not active in his life and his mom raised him by herself. But he knew about his dad. He knew his dad was into witchcraft. He knew his dad was also into voodoo. And so he was very much drawn to that, especially once his mom passed away. When his mom passed away, he wanted to connect with his father, but his mother's family would not let him enter into a relationship with him. 
And so because he knew that his dad was into voodoo and into witchcraft, he began to dabble with that at the age of 12. And, and then shortly after that, he began to um, transition through hormone therapy and some other things to begin to live a lifestyle of a female prostitute. And then he ended up getting AIDS. And now at this point in his life, he was really sick. And I was walking with him, praying with him and trying to get him ready for eternity. And so I remember asking him, I said, like, when did you begin to transition? Like, when did you begin to feel like you were um, a woman um, and, and a woman who wanted to be sexually active as, as a prostitute? And he told me, he said, it was shortly after he began to dabble into voodoo and witchcraft. And he said the reason why he dabbled into it was because he was looking to connect with his father. But he also acknowledged that um, he experienced a lot of amazing powers whenever he was dabbling with voodoo and with witchcraft. And there was like a snake spirit he said he worshipped. But here's the, here's the thing. He also claimed to worship um, Jesus in the, in the context of the Catholic Church. And I told him, I said, you know, you can't worship Jesus and the, the serpent. And he said, well, why not? He said, they're both good gods to me. They both give me power. He says, ever since I've been worshiping the, the snake god, I think it was like a kundalini spirit, he said, I've been able to control the weather, and I've been seeing some pretty amazing supernatural things happen. And they were, in his opinion, very good. And so he didn't see what was wrong with it. He didn't realize that he was getting those powers from a, a, real, a real source, but that source he was getting those powers from were not some other god it was a false god it was a false idol it was a fallen angel it was a demon it was satan and um and so we we walked with each other for about as long as i was able to and then eventually just in spiritual direction and in guidance um i discerned that he really needed a father figure and so i asked the older priest to walk with him because uh, i didn't think i was helping him i didn't think i was really being a bridge for him to to come back to the sacraments in the church and so an older priest began to accompany him in his walk toward eternity. But the bottom line is this, is he experienced some crazy supernatural powers, even though he personally did not believe it was from Satan. Um, but he did, you know, he did. And because of that relationship that he, that covenant he entered into with Satan, he began to question his own identity and he began to question his sonship and he began to live a lifestyle that was totally not conducive for his health. And he ended up getting sick and now he was dying from AIDS. And this was like back in 2000. 12 or something like that. So, I mean, I honestly don't even know if he's still alive, but the bottom line is this, is that that stuff is real. It's totally real. It's very real. And so we shouldn't play with it. Um, a number of saints we can turn to and ask them for their intercession to pray for us whenever we're dealing with all these supernatural forces that are not good. Um, the first one is St. Paul. In the Word of God, St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 through 39, he says this, um, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God of in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice he mentions angels. He mentions principalities. He mentions powers. These are some of them, right, angels, good angels, but Angels can also be fallen angels. Powers can be good. There's bad powers. There's good principalities, bad principalities. Not only can we turn to St. Paul, but we could turn to um, Bartholomew Longo, um, who was a former satanic priest who came back to the church um, after he turned to our Blessed Mother and the rosary, and he began to pro promote the rosary. Another saint who, who fought against the enemy was St. Benedict. St. Benedict went to war against Satan. And finally, there's one more saint who's super cool, who I just found out about. Her name is St. Rose of Viterbo. Um, she was a mystic in the 1200s who, as a three-year-old girl, she was already being used by God to raise the dead. As a seven-year-old girl, she was 
uh, living a life of prayer and penance. And by 12 years old, she was preaching the joy of the gospel and preaching the gospel of justice, speaking out against political um, political sins, um, institutional and structures of evil. And then eventually, as a teenager, she began to preach against witchcraft. And so much so, um, one of the witches in the local community converted, repented, and gave her life to Jesus Christ. And so um, I just really want to encourage you to be super careful. Be super careful with reading books that have spells in it. Be super careful with witchcraft uh, and the demonic. It's, it's a very real thing. It's not something to joke around or play around with uh, because the enemy wants to be seductive and attractive. And, the, and the, the most important thing that the enemy wants for us to, to acknowledge is that he does not exist. Because if we can believe he does not exist, then he could do a lot with us. Um, and he can cause us to stray away from the joy of the gospel and our walk toward eternity. All right. Hopefully that was an adequate answer for you. Y'all let me know. Hit me up at AskFatherJosh at AscensionPress.com and give me your comments, critique, and feedback. All right. Let's stay on the, the tone of the supernatural. Our next question comes in from Andrew. Andrew. That's the name of one of my homeboys, Father Andrew. Uh, so Andrew writes this, Miraculous Visions. Father, I'm reading the Meditations of Christ, and each day there is a new meditation about a saint. I'm reading all these saints and their experiences with the miraculous appearances of Jesus or Mary or another holy figure, and they instantly feel that change of heart and have immense faith. My question is this, if we are all called to be saints, which we are, how come some people have those miraculous visions and others don't? Because you do need a miracle to become a saint, right? So it seems like God's choosing specific people. Andrew, great question. Yeah, so yeah, we do technically need a miracle to become a saint, but that miracle happens after we die. And, uh, and so once we die, then the church begins to look for miracles. But not always the case. There have been cases where we have not need, needed miracles to have someone become a canonized saint. Now, as, as to why does God allow some individuals in their walk toward eternity experience miraculous visions and these supernatural effects in their walk with the Lord? Well, I don't know. All right? I, I believe this. I believe that if, if it's good for my sanctification, I'm going to experience a miraculous vision or a supernatural encounter with the Lord. Um, if it's not good for my sanctification, then I'm just going to grow in holiness and my normative relationship with Jesus Christ and my growth in virtue and patience and kindness and gentleness and meekness and fidelity and, and a life immersed in the sacraments and a life immersed in the scripture and a life immersed in Jesus. If I need that gift, God's going to give it to me. If I don't need that gift, God would not give it to me. Not every saint, not every canonized saint experienced like crazy, supernatural, miraculous visions. In fact, um, St. John the Cross actually warns against people being drawn to that kind of stuff because we can be misled because the devil, going back to Satan, El Diablo, can disguise himself as an angel of the light. Um, and also, there's a saint, I forgot a name, so hashtag my bad, y'all. But there's a saint who I learned about recently uh, through a friend who texted me her story. And she was this nun who had all these like, supernatural things happen and, and whatnot. And she was like, prophet and healer and teacher and a lot of people from all over the world would travel to see her but she said something I thought was very profound and that I just want to I think leave with you um Drew is this is that she said God gave me all these supernatural visions and healings and prophecies not because I'm special but because I'm that weak because God knew that if I didn't have those then I wouldn't remain an intentional disciple of Jesus, whereas other sisters in my community, they don't need those extraordinary gifts. Like they're so in love with Jesus and they're so faithful and they're so holy. They don't need all this extra stuff. 
So, whoa, let's, let's stop and pray with that for a second. Sometimes God gives us these gifts because he knows how weak we are, and he knows that if we didn't have those gifts, then maybe we would not be rooted in him. And so for some of us who are super weak, he allows us to experience these great gifts because these gifts draw us to our relationship with God, and they help us to remain rooted in God. And other people don't need those gifts. There are so many saints who did not have those gifts because they were already rooted in the Lord without them. And so I think that's why God gives these supernatural gifts to some people is because he sees how weak they are, how weak we are, and he allows us to experience the supernatural to keep us attached to him uh, and to save us from falling away from our relationship with the Lord. So what do y'all think? Do y'all agree? Do y'all have any further questions or comments about the supernatural mystical visions of some of the saints who have preceded us and our walk toward eternity? Let me know at askfatherjosh at essentialpress.com. And, uh, and don't forget, share this particular podcast on your social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and the gram. That way other people can find out about the show. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will dive into our final question about the Latin mass. Dominos Obiscuit. <laughs> Do you find it difficult to enter into the mysteries of the rosary? What about personally applying them to your life? Drawing from the writings of the saints, the Bible, and Catholic tradition, Matt Frat has produced Pocket Guide to the Rosary, a masterful work that teaches Catholics how to truly meditate on the mysteries of the rosary, how to pray the rosary like the saints, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your prayer life and improve the way you pray what St. Padre Pio called the weapon of our times, we invite you to check out Pocket Guide to the Rosary by Matt Frad. To order, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. And we're back. Just a quick reminder, you can send me your questions for the next show at AskFatherJosh at EssentialPress.com. If you're feeling fancy, you can also record a voice note and hit me up with that as well. Last question comes in from Maria. Y'all know I love that name. <clears throat> Carlos Santana, y'all. Saint Carlos Santana. Oh, Maria, Maria. And Maria writes this. Hi, Father Josh. My parish priest has always made his opinion known on the Latin mass following. Like, they are cultish. They think that they are better than other people who follow the new order mass, etc. At first, I wasn't sure what to think, but after some personal experiences, I'm a bit worried. It seems like Latin mass followers go around saying that they are basically better than us. They refuse communion if it's not administered by the priest. They say that the Novus Ordo celebrations of the mass aren't valid. And even say that women should only wear dresses and are meant to stay at home and raise kids. I get the feeling that they groom or brainwash people into following this extreme and fanatical form of Catholicism. What are your thoughts on this extreme Catholicism following? A Google search leads to the Novus Ordo Watch and Outer Into Masses, how the New Order Mass isn't really worship, isn't really Catholicism, etc. And I am so confused. There is so much division in our world and now I come across this. I love being Catholic, but I feel that this is so wrong. We are all Catholics in the same universal church, aren't we? Father Josh, I'm sorry this isn't very articulate, but what are your thoughts? Thank you very much for your time, Maria. All right, Maria, that is a great question. 
So a little, a little feedback and um, history into my own life. I was baptized at a church called St. Agnes Catholic Church in the Diocese of Baton Rouge, where at that time when I was baptized, it was the only parish in my diocese that offered the extraordinary form of the Mass. Uh, until Pope Benedict releases Motu Proprio, Samorum Pontificum, allowing every pastor the freedom to offer an extraordinary form of the Mass if a significant number of his parishioners requested this gift. So prior to his Motu Proprio, St. John Paul the Great, just a little history lesson, he allowed the traditional Latin Mass to be celebrated on a limited basis, which is why I was able to be baptized at St. Agnes, which was the Latin Mass parish in my diocese. As a seminarian, to be honest with you, I served the extraordinary form of the Latin Mass on a number of occasions at Notre Dame Seminary, um, at St. Patrick's Catholic Church in New Orleans, uh, where they have the, the Latin Mass all the time. And I have to admit, Maria, I, I think that the Latin Mass is really, really beautiful. I'm not going to lie. It's super beautiful. Uh, if you ever come to my church at Holy Rosary, um, I, I don't do the extraordinary form um, yet. I haven't learned it, to be honest with you, but I, it is something I plan on learning at some point in my walk toward eternity. But you would notice some things that might make you think of the Latin Mass, like I rock the fiddle back. You know, there are other aspects that are, you might be like, oh, man, whatever. But with that being said, I also think that the Novus Ordo, the ordinary form of the Mass, is also really Really, really beautiful. Just like I think the extraordinary form is awesome and beautiful, I think that the ordinary, the Novus Ordo Mass, is very beautiful. Have I ever been to like an, a Novus Ordo Mass that was celebrated sloppily? Yeah, I have. But honestly, have there ever been traditional Latin Masses that have been celebrated sloppily? You better believe it. They have been celebrated messy as well. Have I met some people who frequent the traditional Latin Mass who I perceive to be rude stuck up, prideful. They think that their preference of worship is the only way to worship. Yeah, I have. And I'll be honest, Maria, it's super disappointing because these men and women lack joy. They lack charity. They lack patience. They lack kindness. They don't exhibit and manifest the fruits of the Spirit of Christ. And if you're not manifesting the fruits of the Spirit of Christ, there is a huge problem with that. They often brood about their fellow Catholics who aren't quote-unquote Catholic enough, and they engage in gossip. And this can be more to sin. At the same time, I have met people who frequent the Vatican II, Novus Ordo, ordinary form of the Mass, who are also extremely rude, stuck up, prideful, think that their preference of worship is the only way to worship. This too is very, very, very disappointing because these men and women lack joy, charity, patience, kindness. They often brood about their fellow traditional Catholics who, to them, are too Catholic, and they engage in gossip, which can be a mortal sin. This is not the fruits of the Spirit of Christ. None of this is good. Now, flip that. I've also met Catholics who participate in the extraordinary form who manifest the fruits of the Spirit. They're joyful, they're generous, they're charitable in their thoughts, words, and actions, just as I have met Novus Ordo Catholics who manifest the same fruits of the Spirit, who love Jesus, who love the Blessed Sacrament, who love our Blessed Mother. With all that being said, I think it is all about uh, Jesus at the end of the day. We're all called to Jesus. And so whether you are drawn to Jesus in traditional ways or you're drawn to Jesus in more the ordinary ways, if you're drawn to Jesus through charismatic spirituality and praise, if you're drawn to Jesus through contemplative prayer or social justice and charity, yo, the end of the day, as long as you're drawn to Jesus and you're manifesting the fruits of the Spirit, 
I think you should stay in that way for this season as long as this season is allowing you to be incorporated deeper and deeper and deeper into the body of Jesus Christ. If I start going to the extraordinary form of the Mass and I recognize I'm not growing in virtue, then that might be the Lord's way of saying, maybe you should try the Novus Ordo. However, if I'm participating in the Novus Ordo and I'm not growing in virtue, then maybe the Lord wants me to be open to the extraordinary form. All of the above are really, really good. And all of the above are really, really Catholic. So just because we meet some Catholics who are traditional and can be jerks, and we meet some Catholics who um, are, are, are normally worshiping at the ordinary form of the Mass, the Novus Ordo, and can be jerks, does not mean that either one is bad. Just because a priest celebrates one of the liturgies sloppily does not mean that the liturgy itself is bad. It means that priest needs to be reformed. So um, I'm not sure what your, your pastor's experience has been of people who um, frequent the, the Latin Mass um, or the other priests who celebrate it, but I've had good experiences with both and I've had bad experiences with both and. And I think the desire is for all of us to be saints. And so uh, if you don't feel called to that kind of worship right now, then just keep your eyes on Jesus and let Jesus continue to draw you to be a saint because that's the, that's the goal at the end of the day. We're all called to be saints. Not every saint's going to get each other, understand each other. Not every saint's going to be formed in the same way that the saint before them was formed, right? There were saints who were formed before mass was ever said in Latin. There were saints formed while mass was being said in Latin. And there were saints that were formed when mass was being said in the vernacular in more recent years. What's the common denominator? All of the above are saints. The goal is they all love Jesus and they abide in a community with Jesus. And that's really all that matters. And so I just want to encourage all of us listeners of this podcast to remain united to Jesus now and forever. Uh, so that wraps up today's show. Uh, if you want some more shows in the future that are themed shows, hit me up and give me some suggestions on what kind of themed show you want to listen to in the future. Because I really enjoy doing theme shows, uh, to be honest with you. I think it's kind of cool for us to go deeper into di- different topics from different different um, ways. So that's today's show. Stay united to Jesus And let's go ahead and just pray a glory be to the Father that we all worship uh, in the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, all glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right, y'all. I cannot wait to continue walking with you toward eternity. God bless. Deuces. Deuces.